0: Hello and welcome to another episode of The Abundant Edge, the podcast all about the worlds of natural building, permaculture, and regenerative living. I'm your host, Oliver Gaucher, and today I have a special episode for you. Unlike normal when I'm interviewing industry leaders or experts in the field, today I'll be giving a talk specifically on busting myths and misconceptions about natural building. I've got a lot of material to cover, so let's jump right on in. Now like I said today is a special episode and we'll be talking about some of the myths and misconceptions around natural building and I'll explain them in detail so that you don't get discouraged and so that you're not misinformed when you start your own projects. Now there are a lot of myths and misconceptions around the cost especially of building with natural materials. A lot of people think that natural building is cheaper in all regards. A lot of people also think that it's easier to build with natural materials than it is conventional materials or that all natural homes are inherently more energy efficient. So first let's start by defining natural building just so that we're on the same page. There are a lot of different opinions about this, but the simplest definition is that you build with minimally processed materials, ideally that haven't changed much from their natural form and place. This doesn't mean that natural building can't include things like steel and concrete when they're necessary, but it means that a large emphasis is put on using materials such as earth, stone, wood, or grasses that come from the build site or as near as possible. Now I could also talk for a long time all about the details and intricacies of these criteria, but that'll be a different episode. So for now let's talk about why many people think that natural building is always cheaper. For one thing, natural materials are often free or very cheap. Many industrial products such as doors and windows can be recycled or salvaged from old buildings or the waste stream. Oftentimes, heavy machinery and equipment isn't used on natural building projects, and many natural building projects use volunteer or student labor to complete portions of the project. So one of the reasons why people think that these projects are so cheap is that many people don't factor in transportation costs or excavation or harvesting costs into the build estimate. These jobs, done by hand, are often more expensive than paying to have them done professionally or renting equipment. Now while many recycled and salvaged components can be gotten for free, many places have also gotten wise to the value of salvaged products and it's becoming harder and harder to get good quality free building supplies. In many cases, outside of rich overdeveloped areas such as North America or or Europe, almost everything gets used and very little useful goods are actually thrown away. Where I am for example in Guatemala, I really can't count on finding good quality or used construction supplies. Now these days, the reasons that there is very little heavy machinery on natural building sites is that the projects tend to be relatively small. I actually happen to know quite a few build projects and contractors that use diggers, backhoes, bobcats, or even tractors to save money on labor on their job sites. Now, while many natural builders inherently shy away from using heavy equipment, it certainly doesn't mean that you can't, or that it's not useful on a natural building site. Now, the topic of volunteer or student labor is very tricky and sometimes complicated or controversial. While there is no doubt that volunteers can potentially be a huge help in completing a project, in many cases it can cost more in the management, necessary facilities that are needed, and other hidden costs to host students and volunteers than to just hire professional labor. I'll cover more on this topic in another time. It's really broad and people always have questions and different opinions about it. But like I said, I'll get to it on another talk. The bottom line is that while all of these techniques listed can bring down the cost of construction, they can't always be counted on to cut costs on a project. And in some cases like machinery or free labor, the opposite can actually be true. Now, I also want to talk about something that I like to call the myth of the $100 house. So there are a ton of examples online in places like Facebook, natural building forums and websites, where people brag about how they built a house or a building for some ridiculously tiny sum. This is where a lot of the misconceptions about the real cost of natural building comes from. There are a number of ways that they arrive at these numbers, and all of them involve emitting certain expenses and selective accounting. So let's start with the first and usually the biggest one, not counting the cost of labor. So you should always be counting the cost of your own labor, the cost of free labor, or even if you're not using you know money to compensate people, counting the cost when it comes to providing facilities and extra resources to those who are working for you. Now this is actually a little bit tricky to do and it's easy to see why people often omit this expense. Because if you're not exchanging money exactly, it can be really hard to calculate exactly what you're paying for these. But I'll give you an example. So if someone built a house and it took them three years to build it, but only cost them say $1,000 in materials, did the project cost $1,000? Well no, because you lost about three years of wages by putting that time into your project. and This is what's called opportunity cost. And it's really worth taking into account, because if you're not making money in some other way, and you're putting that energy into your project, that money has to come from somewhere. Nobody can live on nothing, or even if you do, so much of your time needs to be going into creating your own needs that, I mean, that's a whole other topic. So in this case, you're either living off your savings, or you've got another income stream coming in from somewhere else to help support you, so that the The time that you're putting into this project is not free time. Now maybe you're being really generous or stingy with yourself and you consider yourself to be unskilled labor and maybe uh, consider your time to be paid at the minimum wage, which these days is unfortunately low. But I promise you that within a month, even minimum wage racks up and can, you know, if if your material costs were $1,000 you can easily go beyond that just on a minimum wage uh, pay scale of time in just one month. But now if you have some construction experience, say you know a bit about carpentry uh, or masonry or you know any other building trade, you should be paying yourself or considering your hours worth what it would cost to hire a professional and these days that's anywhere between $20 and $50 an hour on average and it can go up more. Now those costs rack up really fast and again if this person worked on their house for three years certainly the cost of that building project was not just the cost of material, so that's an example. Now the other one that's pretty common is forgetting to count design planning and preparation time. Now again, this is easy to do if you're not exchanging money for it, but this can count for a very significant amount of time before the project even gets started. And the project costs are not only when you break ground and begin to construct the walls or the foundation, for example, all of the preparation and planning need to be considered as well. Now, lastly, the other big one that people often forget to count is the cost of transportation now this usually shows up as the cost of gasoline and again it's hard to separate say if you're using your car or your truck for personal reasons as well as project reasons at the same time it's kind of hard to divide the cost of gasoline in those projects but it's worthwhile because if you're constantly going back to the hardware store or to the lumber yard or you know to fetch materials or whatever you could burn up hundreds and hundreds of dollars in gas especially at prices today over the course of a build project. So always keep those things in mind. Now getting into another concept that I really want to touch on is what I like to call the two of three choice. Now in general, and this counts for things not just natural building, but any other type of project. There is a list of three options. Cheap, fast, and quality. And I'll repeat those again because they're very important. Cheap, fast, and quality. Now in any given case you're allowed to pick two and only two of those three. For example if you want a cheap building and you want it built at a high quality it's going to take a long time. If you want your house done fast and at a high quality it's going to be expensive and if you want a cheap house built fast it's probably going to be very low quality. Now if anyone can figure out how to get all three of those at the same time I would love to hear about it but until now I have not found a way around this rule. Now let's talk about another misconception, the ease of building with natural materials. Now the basics of natural building such as cob mixing, making adobes, and nailing wood together is indeed really easy, in fact the basics of any job are simple, I've taught students within an hour how to start building cob walls or setting foundation stones. But if you want to do any of these tasks at a high level or if quality is really worthwhile to you, it's also worth taking the time to learn, study, and practice these skills. Working with natural materials, in fact, can be much harder because they aren't standardized. The irregularities of subsoil, round pole timber, and wonky shaped rocks often makes them trickier to understand and tougher to make conform to tight measurements and straight or or even curved lines. Now the last big misconception is that natural building is always energy-efficient. So it's true that there tends to be an emphasis in natural building to design structures in a way that are very energy-efficient by using things like passive solar gain, off-grid energy systems, highly insulative walls, and others. But it's equally important to know that these things are figured out in the designs and are not inherent to natural building. In fact, you can achieve all these results with conventional or industrial materials as well. But the opposite is true too, if you design poorly or decide to use the wrong materials for the wrong applications, you could end up with a very energy consumptive house, or a very uncomfortable one, even though you used all natural materials. Now I actually happen to know people who have built large and beautiful natural structures only to abandon them after a short time because they were really uncomfortable to live in or made no sense in the climate where they were built. I'll give you two quick examples. Um, without naming any names or embarrassing anybody. Uh, one was a super adobe project, which was done really well. The beautiful building got, got finished at a really high quality and the walls were extremely thick, up to two feet uh, in thickness in, in a lot of areas. And this design works fantastic in theory because we're in a kind of a tropical area and the thick walls help to keep out the heat of the day and keep a cool temperature on the inside. However, We're also at really high elevation, and we never reached the really high temperatures the way that they do on the coast because of the elevation we're at. And so what happened was those walls worked too well. It kept the interior of the house really cold all the time, and sometimes a little damp as well. And the owner ended up, in the end after just a couple of seasons, building a conventional hollow block structure right on the side, and frankly that's where they live now. Another example is I had some neighbors when I was doing a project in Senegal, which gets really high temperatures. We were right on the coast and they decided to go with an NGO who specialized in building Nubian vaults. And Nubian vaults are fantastic. They keep really good interior temperatures in hot climates. And in that way, they worked really well. It was really comfortable on the inside, but they had a different problem. Where we were, we got a pretty significant rainy season and the adobe roofs the the arches that were made uh, as the roofs on the dome got worn down and weathered really fast to the point where they were cracking and even leaking and again after just a couple of seasons they realized that this wasn't the right material to build their roof out of and they actually ended up encasing the entire dome in a separate structure with laminar roof and i'm pretty sure it was mostly concrete block around the outside So they basically built a house around their house just to avoid constantly doing maintenance on it. So the point is, don't skim over the design stage. The materials matter, but they don't matter nearly as much as a well-designed space. If you're getting into natural building as a career path, for example, it's really worth spending time studying design and landscape management almost as much as the individual building skills as well. Because even if you don't plan on being a professional designer you'll likely come up with this situation which I've dealt with many times where you have to explain or teach an architect how different natural materials and techniques affect their designs and how it changes the interior feel or you know their way that their design operates. Now I know this seems like a lot of bad news and it can be a little bit depressing. But let's switch gears a little bit and go for the good news. Now I know I just spent all this time busting myths and probably busting a few people's bubbles if they got interested in natural building because of these falsehoods. But there is a ton of good news. Just because natural building isn't cheaper in all regards doesn't mean that you can't save a ton of money by using found, recycled, or salvaged materials if you plan correctly and do your research. Often being patient presents you with a ton of opportunities that wouldn't come up if you were rushed. It's not unlikely that a big bulk of your building materials could come from underneath your feet, or from your forest, or from your neighbor's farm. Being creative and open-minded will always bring about solutions. And now while it may not be inherently easier to build with uh, natural materials, it's super easy to get started. Now since almost all the materials you're likely to use are natural and non-toxic, it's really accessible and fun to jump right in. It can be extremely empowering for people to feel useful on a build site in a short time if you've never tried your hand at building before. Now since most tasks can be done without complicated machinery or tools as well, people of all ages, skill levels, and physical abilities can find ways to join in. There are also advantages to having irregular materials. The beauty of so many natural structures is that they're very unique. Each site offers resources and obstacles. The curves in roundwood and the colors in aggregate and earthen walls give character and personality to your building that can't be replicated in another place in exactly the same way. And I'll be honest too, for many of us in natural building, part of the appeal in what we do is that it works outside of the tightly regulated and industrialized world of modern construction. Personally, I like that despite not having permits and licenses, I know that the projects that I build are of high quality and will last for a long time while creating safe and beautiful spaces for those who use them. And now even though natural buildings aren't inherently energy efficient, people who choose to build naturally usually have their priorities and their hearts in the right place when it comes to the environment and energy consumption. Some really incredible things can be done with insulation, thermal masses, humidity regulation, and more by using natural materials that you can find almost anywhere that help to achieve amazingly energy efficient buildings. Just remember that even the most natural of buildings can still be a total bummer to live in or to use if it isn't designed correctly. So now I hope that this episode helps to clear up some of the most confusing and misunderstood aspects of natural building, and maybe even building in general. Now even though it might not be the perfect solution to all your problems, there are still tons of great reasons to choose to build naturally and to work with your environment not against it to create beautiful and secure spaces. If you have any questions or comments about any of the topics that I covered in this or any other episode, don't forget to post them in the comments on the website by clicking on the podcast tab at AbundantEdge.com, and you can also email me directly at info at AbundantEdge.com. I really look forward to hearing your feedback. This is the kind of stuff that helps me kinda check to see if I'm on the right page, make sure that my information is correct, and also to understand what it is that my audience wants to hear more or to learn about. So if you're looking to learn more about natural building, permaculture, and regenerative living, there are also a bunch of articles on all of these topics on the website by clicking on the News tab in the navigation bar. Now for those of you who are interested in starting your own natural building projects, we also offer a full range of services from consulting and design to contracting. Thank you so much again for tuning in and I will see you on the next episode.